This is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed Podcast. I've got an exciting week coming up. Uh, there's a conference called Achieving the Dream, or it's Dream 2020. Uh, that's next week, and I'm going to get to go for the first time. Uh, I've been invited to go before, but uh, until this year, I've always been a basketball coach, and February is the heart of basketball season. Uh, With my job change, I had to step away from my basketball program, although I'm thrilled to say they're still doing very, very well. Um, And while that's been hard, it did open up the opportunity to attend this conference, Uh, and I'm also going to get a chance to present a couple of times while I'm there Uh, But I'm particularly excited about a short presentation on Thursday called Lessons from the Bowl. Uh, For those of you that listen to these podcasts or have read some of what I've written, you know that the bowl is simply a bowl of food that we started putting out in the fall of 2018 uh, at my last college um, that I was motivated to do after finding out uh, a young student in our program uh, was refusing to eat in a class party because he didn't want his body to get used to eating. It seemed like literally the least we could do. Uh, But it became symbolic and it has taught me a lot and continues to teach me and continues to inspire conversation. Um, And I would like to just give you some insight into something I wrote about the bowl on March 31st of 2019. Uh, This article was called Poverty Informed Practice in Higher Education, The Bowl. I went hiking with my daughter this morning. She's been trying to jolt me back toward fitness after I've neglected myself a little too much all winter. It was really nice, but the nicest part of the morning was including her in my Sunday morning ritual of delivering my weekend purchases to work to stock the bowl, our snacks in the lobby for students and anyone else who wants them. My daughter and I were talking about the increased amount of food we were going through since enrollment had gone up 40% since we started doing poverty-informed work like this, and I was telling her some of the things I've learned through almost a year of trying to create community around food. I'd like to share some of that learning today. The first thing I've learned isn't really that pleasant. You know, I knew there was a lot of judgment put on people who are poor, but some days it's just too crystal clear. Poverty is a circumstance, not a character flaw. But unfortunately, that does not appear to be a universal belief. I've been asked many, many times how we ration what we provide. The simple answer is we don't. As I've written and spoken about before, we think of the bowl as hospitality for guests, and we would never limit guests or judge them. But I see that judgment every day in subtle and not so subtle ways. One of the less subtle ways is when people note something we're providing in the bowl is name brand rather than generic or something they wouldn't purchase at their own home. The subtext of this seemingly harmless comment always feels like we are doing something people don't deserve or is too much, and that idea just seems suspect to me. Now those comments are often couched in the guise of concern about our ability to sustain what we are doing, but to be honest, it just doesn't feel right. I talk all the time about the lessons of the bowl, and one of the clearest lessons is that bias runs deep, and I think examining how we react to the bowl is a good way to find our own implicit bias. In fact, 
I've used it as a way to expose just that conversation. It's a great way to ask people in a relatively safe space about why they feel the way they do. One of the requirements of our poverty-informed approach is to stand in awe of our students, and that means we need to present the food nicely. It means when people bring us leftovers from meetings, isn't it interesting how often we feed ourselves at work? We make sure those leftovers aren't just flung on a table, but they're laid out for guests we care about. Now, to be fair, the bowl has also brought out the best in many folks who contribute regularly. But I'd be lying if I said the bowl didn't give us a chance to explore our own biases. The bowl also changes our proximity to students, and that matters. I've been asked several times recently to present on our work, and depending on the amount of time I'm granted, I can be kind of verbose, or I can be pretty concise. Now, when brevity is required, I've begun to discuss poverty-informed practice as an intentional choice to love the students we have. It's hard to truly love someone from a distance, and the bowl puts us together, whether we're serving food or congregating around it. Just last week, a student saw me carrying in some food and thanked me for buying her breakfast most days. We laughed pretty hard when I showed her the sweet roll in my hand that I was enjoying myself. Our commitment to the bowl as hospitality, not charity, levels the playing field just a little bit and allows us to engage students as the adults they are. I also think for someone like me who grew up with occasional food insecurity, you know, food and love, they're intertwined. My mom took a lot of pride in feeding us and even taking us out to eat once a month or so. At her funeral, I told the story of how we went out to eat and how she told us it was to learn how to behave in restaurants. But as an adult, I suspect it was more about showing us we could have what other people had, and our struggling circumstances didn't mean we couldn't do things that made us happy. My mom was quite a lady. Uh, I can feel the connection between food and love to this day, uh, which probably affects my waistline, but that's another story. So, if we actually love the students we have, and I do feel like I should say trademark Amarillo College every time I say that, but if we love the students we have, food is one way to show it. It's a concrete, tangible act of caring that connects us in their pursuit of a different future. The bowl has also taught me about the perception of scarcity and how we build so many systems around fear of scarcity. Currently, the bowl is 100% stocked by donations, and as I said, usage goes up every week. When we started, my premise was that if we run out, we simply do. But I'll admit that premise is anxiety-provoking. Even this week, as food seemed to fly out, my mind began to spin about whether we should have, we should have designated fill-up times or some other solution to make things last longer. In the end, I chose not to, because the bowl is at some level an act of faith. I believe that purpose is compelling and sustainable, so we trust that more food will appear and people like me will dig a little deeper. I'm going to talk more about that in a moment, but first I want to talk about the effect of a scarcity mentality. So many policies and procedures at our campus and elsewhere are designed around a fear of running out of whatever resource we are distributing. It makes me think of emergency funds that don't actually get distributed because of a fear of not having enough or of not giving it to the correct people. 
I often describe what we're trying to do as providing things my middle-class kids get by default to people who didn't get them by the same accident of birth. Do you know the excess of resources my kids get? Isn't it remarkable that we feel like we have to ration things to people who have been left with so much less through no fault of their own? It just gets back to the bias I mentioned earlier, and it is important to call it out. I love my children, but they certainly don't deserve things that people born to tougher circumstances don't. Our poverty-informed work focuses every day on not letting scarcity pervert our systems of support. If we don't have enough to give everyone what they need, we pursue more resources. We don't withhold what people need. Lastly, the bowl has led to a long conversation between me and my work partner, Mandy. When Mandy and I discuss the bowl and the things it exposes, it always leads to the same discussion. The general topic is basically how much we can and should do once we know the effects of poverty and inequity. Now, I tend to be the compromising one who thinks we should move incrementally toward a better and fairer world, and Mandy is more struck by the urgency and unfairness of current conditions. As people who have chosen careers that are focused on helping others, the question of how comfortable we allow ourselves to be when others are struggling comes up again and again. Neither of us is rich, but we each live comfortably, and sometimes that doesn't feel right when you are surrounded by people who are struggling to meet their basic needs. It just doesn't sit right when those same people have the courage to pursue education in a system that's not always well designed for that pursuit. I purchase food for the bowl every Sunday, and as my purchases grow larger, I'm really facing a very concrete version of this argument. I feel kind of embarrassed that I worry about how much I spend on the weekends when I can still choose to go out for lunch or join friends for a happy hour after work. There are many other examples of how we could all be slightly less comfortable on behalf of those who have so much less. But the unanswerable question is, how much is enough? After months of pondering and debating with Mandy, and frankly, moving more in her direction, my current answer is, I don't know. But I do know I believe in this guiding principle that every barrier that can be removed should be removed. And that principle provides some guidance. When you combine that commitment with truly loving the students you have, I think you will end up in the right place, or at least on the right path. Truthfully, we can probably all choose to be a little less comfortable while we pursue making the world a fairer place, and that's what I'm challenging us to do. I don't know how much is enough, but I know we can continue to do more together. And for now, we keep on filling the bowl. <laughs>